You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Autophagy and anoikis sounds like a hip law firm, but these terms describe cellular processes that may soon help us find the cures to cancer. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President Chief Science Officer at Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me today is Dr. Jayanta Devnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology, University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Devnath is a member of the UCSF Comprehensive Cancer Center, a Charles E. Culpepper Medical Scholar, and he recently received a Career Development Award from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and the AACR. Dr. Devnath and I are discussing his cancer research, which focuses on autophagy and anoikis. Dr. Devnath, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me. So what is anoikis and why is it important to cancer biology? Anoikis is the Greek word for homelessness, and I should back up to what exactly that means. So most of the cells in our body, cells that compose our blood vessels or our glands, the very cells that actually end up usually causing the cancers that we're worried about, such as breast cancer, prostate cancer. All of the cells that make up these these types of structures are anchored to a basement membrane. When a normal cell, this is just your everyday garden variety cell in one of those tissues, loses its anchorage to that basement membrane, it actually starts floating away and it undergoes this, initiates this process called anoikis. At the heart and core, it's actually a, a death process. The cell ends up dying because it is effectively homeless. It has lost its anchorage to that basement membrane that's so critical. Now, why it is important in cancer biology is for some reason, cancer cells, when they lose their anchorage to the basement membrane, they don't die. They don't undergo anoikis. And a big part, since these very cells are the cell types that actually cause most of the major cancers in the Western world, such as breast, prostate, colon, so on and so forth, actually all require this anchorage and undergo anoikis. What a lot of researchers are trying to understand is why cancer cells are actually able to survive this process, why they do not undergo fundamentally an anoikis type process. And is it true that all cancerous cells can survive this anoikis or is it only a small percentage? It is thought, at least from experimental models, that cancer cells, pretty much any type of cancer cell, can survive anoikis to a certain degree. However, as most people know, every cancer is very different. So what we're learning is that certain types of cancer cells, and we don't know whether this is to the actual genes or genetic aberrations they possess, or whether it's due to other factors, are more sensitive to anoikis, whereas other types of cancer cells are very, very resistant. So like everything in cancer, there's different degrees of how well they survive and how well they don't. So when a cancer starts, it's typically attached to the basement membrane, right? Yes. So if you took some of those cancer cells from that original tumor and put them in whatever system you use to test for their susceptibility to anoikis, would those cells all be able to survive anoikis? That's a really interesting question. If you took a cancer cell at that early stage, when it's just starting and it's still fundamentally anchored, what you'll find is that a very low percentage of those cells actually end up surviving. 
In contrast, if you take uh, cells from a patient who has metastatic disease and there's cells basically within the bloodstream or within a lot of places where it shouldn't be, you take those same types of cells and pretty much those will have almost 100% resistance to the process of Anoecus. And how do cells survive Anoecus? For the last you know, decade since this has been studied, the major process, I told you that this is fundamentally a death process. Well, all of us who are in medical school or in, in biomedical research learn that normal cells in our body actually undergo forms of programmed cell death. They're commonly called apoptosis. And it's thought over the, over the accumulating evidence over the past few years is that the major way that a cell survives anoecus is they start to shut off those programs of apoptosis or programmed cell death. However, I think although that is part of the story, what we're also learning is that there are cell, cellular processes that are not at their heart and core a programmed cell death process, an apoptotic process. They do something very different. And one of these processes, what I actually uncovered as I've been conducting my research, and this is this process of autophagy. So tell us what autophagy is. So autophagy is exactly what it sounds like. It's self-eating. And what it really means is a cell, when it is stressed or starving, basically starts to eat little bits and pieces of itself. And you ask how it does that. All cells have organelles and membranes within them. You know, we learn about them as we get our, our medical training, you know, things like the endoplasmic reticulum and the lysosome and the mitochondria. Well, it turns out when a cell is, is stressed, and I'll just, for a point of example, take the ultimate stress to any cell in the world, a yeast cell, a bacterial cell, or a human cell, and that is actually it's starved in nutrients. It's, it doesn't have an amino acid that it needs, for example. Well, what it does is it actually starts to build little organelles around its own cytoplasmic contents. And it takes those organelles to the lysosome, which is the garbage disposal for any cell type, and it starts to destroy those, those pieces of cytoplasm, and it recycles those individual components, amino acids, ATP, so on and so forth, so that the cell can actually use it while it lacks the nutrients it can get from its outside world. So it's exactly what it says. The cell starts eating little bits and pieces of itself in a very tightly biochemically and genetically regulated process in order to provide the cell with a source of food or a source of, of good humor, if you will, during times of stress. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Bruce Bloom. Chief Operating Officer of Partnership for Cures, and I am speaking with Dr. Jayanta Debnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology at the University of California, San Francisco, about his fascinating cancer research. So how is autophagy controlled in the cell, then, if it happens on a regular basis? It's a good question, and it's one that we're trying to figure out. We do know that there are about 20 genes, and they seem to be conserved in pretty much any living organism you can think of, a plant, a fly, a yeast a mouse and a human, and these genes form little molecular machines that actually control the autophagic process. And it's turning out that we can actually now downregulate or upregulate the gene functions in order to actually try to control the autophagic process when we need to in a disease situation. So how does autophagy impact cell survival during anoecus? So what we've learned is that I told you that cancer cells seem to survive this process of anoecus. 
And I've also told you that autophagy is fundamentally a way for cells to survive. Well, what we've learned is potentially that cancer cells may actually use autophagy to actually survive in places where they shouldn't be surviving. So whereas a normal cell would never initiate the process, the cancer cell decides to use it. So it's actually using a process that the normal cell has actually developed and evolved over time to help it get through stressful situations against itself. You know, typically, like any cancer does, it actually uses its own cellular machinery to actually grow and propagate, whereas a normal cell would never do that. So are you saying that during anaweakas, that causes a stress on the cell, and cancer cells fight that by using autophagy to survive the anaweakas? Exactly. What we think is going on is that they turn up the process, and as a result, this cancer cell potentially can survive better. So that would suggest that if you could somehow turn off that process specifically in a cancer cell, you might be able to kill the cancer cell that seems to be living where it shouldn't be living. So you're saying if we could figure out how to preferentially turn off autophagy in metastatic cancer cells, we might cause them to undergo anaweakus and program cell death. Yes. So do we know how to turn off autophagy? Well, there are potentially drugs that have been actually used to turn off autophagy, actually drugs that were used in the fight against malaria. One notable agent, um, chloroquine, is a lysosomal agent. And as I told you before, lysosomes are the terminal aspect of the autophagic process. So you can inhibit the lysosome with chloroquine, and as a result, you can potentially inhibit the autophagic process with chloroquine. And will it do that preferentially in cancer cells? That's the difficult part in the sense that what we're trying to figure out is are there specific aspects of the autophagic machinery that are being turned on by the cancer cell so that unlike chloroquine, which would hit both the cancer cell as well as a normal cell, similar to how a lot of chemotherapeutics work, unfortunately it's an off-target effect of pretty much any chemotherapeutic, what we're hoping to do is to find some of the key intermediates that are actually being used by the cancer cell and then target those to turn off autophagy. So when we talk about autophagy in relation to cancer progression, would we say this is a good thing, a bad thing, or both? You know, I've spent most of the time until now saying that it's actually probably a bad thing for cancer progression. So you'd want to turn off autophagy for cancer progression. However, I'm not telling you the whole story in the sense that there are other aspects of autophagy. I've told you that this is fundamentally an eating process. So it actually is a way to actually to limit some of the kind of reactive oxygen species and, and other molecules that are toxic to a cell. And so in contrast, autophagy could actually be both. It could actually be both a tumor suppressor as well as a tumor promoter. And one of the things we're trying to figure out, although we have very directed hypothesis saying in, in this case, in the case of anaweakas, autophagy is probably something that is promoting tumor cell survival. There may be other contexts where autophagy is actually limiting tumor cell growth. And that remains an extremely important issue for cancer research right now. It's actually just started, but people are recognizing that both of these, it's, it's a double-edged sword in, in effect, which figuring out the context where autophagy can be used to treat cancer versus, you know, just left alone is a big challenge for our field. And when we're talking about early stage cancers that are still in the same tissue as the cancer developed versus metastatic cancer, is what we do with autophagy maybe different in those situations? I think that's exactly gets to the kind of the heart of the matter. 
It may be an early-stage cancer that autophagy is acting as a tumor suppressor because it's a way to restrict growth. So in those cases, in an early-stage cancer, you might actually want to upregulate the process. On the other hand, in late-stage cancers, these are metastatic cancers. The cells basically know how to survive any type of stress. And autophagy at its heart and core is fundamentally a stress response. So if you turn off that stress response, you now start killing advanced tumor cells. So as you said, in an early-stage cancer, you may want to turn on the process. But in a late-stage cancer, you may want to turn it off. And we're trying to kind of dissect those issues. You know, is that true? And if so, how do you go about you know, turning it on or turning it off at, at particular stages of the cancer process. I want to thank Dr. Jayanta Devnath of UCSF for sharing his research insights with us. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs and other therapies for new uses. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.